welcome to Musitations, Sound Healing and Sound Wisdom for a World in Need. On Musitations, we explore all things musical, meditative, and creative for healing, transformation, and awakening the relationship between nature, culture, and the soul. I'm Michael Branty Maria, and I'm your host and guide on this journey on the edge of a new millennium. I bring my 30 plus years of experience as an integrative wellness guide, best-selling author, meditation, yoga, mindfulness teacher, and a four-time Grammy-nominated musician. Join me now on this adventure of awakening the soul. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Falling Into Soul podcast. I'm McCall Erickson, your host, and today I am so thrilled to be bringing you this conversation with my dear soul friend, Michael Brandt Di Maria. For those of you who don't know Michael, he is a man of many different trades, a mystic of all trades, I would say. He is a four-time Grammy nominee for his amazing music that I kind of have a late night addiction to on Pandora. <laughs> he is an author and a poet of many books. He's a sound healer, and he is just starting a new career in his third act of life as a filmmaker. And I am telling you, everything I've seen, I've seen little snippets of things that he's filmed, and every time I see these things, I am just filled with soul chills. And I have to admit, I'm not really a very easy sell on things. I'm not very easily impressed by sheer talent or ability alone, but I'm always impressed when someone who has actually lived their alchemy and lives their alchemy and does their work and shows up to their life and shows up to their soul, puts all of that into art or music, I can feel it. And I'm completely filled. And that's what I that's what I sense when I listen to Michael's music, read his words, and watch his films, which get ready world. These are amazing. So, Michael, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, McCall. That I soul chills. I love that phrase and I have them and uh, you honor me so deeply with those words. Um, I feel them in my heart. I feel them in my soul. And um, it's just such a mirror of what I see in you and and so grateful to be here with you. You know how much I, I really honor your, your work, your writing, and, and it's just a joy to be with you on this podcast and can't wait to see what we get up to. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I can't wait to see either. So um, you and I were actually talking a few months ago, we were having just a chat, a soul chat, and I started asking you about burnout because I wanted to do a podcast on it. And I've been having a lot of conversations with my listeners about burnout and, you know, have my own burnout story and all that. But I started asking you some things and you just started, you know, spewing all this amazing <laughs> stuff. And when you got done, I said, I wish we were recording that. That was so good. And then you said, well, we should, we should, we should record it. Let's do it. So that's kind of how the, this came to be. And really, I want to start by, if you would, first of all, very simply, what is burnout? And then if you could maybe segue into sharing about your own burnouts and what led to them. Absolutely. Uh 
I'm more than happy to, and such an important topic, especially in the world today. I think there's more and more of us who are suffering from burnout with information overload, data smog, future shock, polarization, not to mention, you know, the cost of living and everything else. It's, it's so epidemic. Um, and yes, no stranger to burnout three times in my life, which I'm happy to share a bit more about. But to, to begin with that key question, what is burnout? You know, I love etymology and, and just really listen to the word burn out. What burns out? Like you think of a match burning out. All the fuel is gone and it's charred ash. Um, so that's this image to me of literally too much fire and not enough water is mm. what I kind of like to, to say from a alchemical or, or a medicine wheel approach that fire is transformational and it's wonderful and fire in and of itself is, is good. It's not good or bad. It, it depends on how you use it. So fire can be used to cook and, you know, it can be used to heal, but it can also burn and it can also destroy, you know, thinking, getting a, a house on fire. And, and I like to think of, and I know we, we have some de dem similar demographics um, in terms of working with creatives and creativity is fiery, you know, creativity is, is passion and passion in and of itself, like fire is, is not good or bad, but how we find a place for it in our lives. And I, I just like to say, you know, that fire needs a fireplace without a fireplace, the house burns down, which means having some, some boundaries and some, we, we both love boundaries, the importance of boundaries and have experienced what happens in our lives. when We don't have them. And the same goes with our relationship to, we, you know, our creativity is like a relationship. So when the fuel burns out now as a clinical psychologist retired now, some of the warning signs are basically excessive fatigue, sleeping too much or not enough, um, loss of appetite or eating too much extremes in one situation or the other loss of the sense of passion or purpose, uh, certainly things like depression. And of course, you know, suicidal ideation. So burnout is when you really, the things that you used to look forward to, the things you used to enjoy, the things that, you know, brought you a sense of pleasure are gone. It's like, there's no there. And that's the funny thing. Cause when we say burnout, yes, the fire initially, but then the fire's gone and there's just ash and you can't, you know, once that match burns out, you can't relight it. Right. So it's when we feel lost alone and defeated. And sometimes it just happens so quickly because we can ride this wave. And next thing we know, we're kind of, you know, shipwrecked. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I want to comment a few things in there because I know my podcast, we, we focus a lot on alchemy and the procedures of alchemy. And really when alchemy can be boiled down to 
you know, human alchemy, we have two main um, parts of us, the soul and the spirit. And the fire of creativity is the spirit. But the water and the container and the um, the deep sustenance and the roots, that's the soul. And so like learning how to work with both, we need both. If we don't have both, then we start getting major imbalance, like you said, and experience those extremes. But um, the soul is such um, such a giver in the in the sense that it will keep us balanced. Because if we start getting ahead of ourselves, it will pull us back. If we, uh, it's, it's, it's water, it's the depths. If we start rising too high without the roots, it will, it will bring us back down into experiences that make us have to address the roots, have to go down into the depths, have to cool off a little bit. And, and it's really hard just as in our culture at large to have these experiences because they're completely written out of our culture, completely written out. We're trained and conditioned that forward movement at all costs, productivity at all costs. Put your body on the line, put your soul on the line, put it all on the line. Don't stop. I work with so many people that have so much anxiety anytime the soul process starts happening because we have no context with how to deal with it. It's not, it's not considered okay. We have, you know, our entire sense of well-being and our worth and our value is dependent on what we do and and what we can create and what we can make and how much we can make it and how in how little amount of time it's it's all set up for that. And so the second the soul starts bringing us back down, anxiety, what do we do? You know, our sense of sense of well-being, our sense of like identity is threatened so, yeah, I mean, constantly working with both of the those uh, energies in ourselves is is the point of alchemy and learning how those play out in ourselves. That's beautiful. And, you know, I that that I think that in addition to the water, you know, that you mentioned the roots that that I and I am curious if you'd agree too that that I often think of soul as earth and water and spirit as air and fire, you know, yeah. astrologically too, and, and shamanically, and that, that the sense of, you just thinking about it. And, and again, there's, there's beauty to air and fire and think about what's air and fire. Well, it's the sun right there, but can you imagine if there was never a night, <laughs> there was never a night, if there was ne never a a time for the the sun to go down, the moon to come up, which also symbolic of water. And, you know, it's as if the, you know, even so many ancient traditions, you know, the sun literally is going into the underworld, yeah. you know, the sun needs a break as well as us. And so this, and, and I think this brings us into the, such an important part of what is the difference between unhealthy burnout versus a natural death rebirth cycle. And I couldn't agree more too that, I mean, part of the problem is in our very capitalistic, materialistic, reductionistic culture, um, in particular, since the advent of the industrial revolution, um, our educational system, everything, particularly with the creation of the electric light bulb and electricity. So we get them lights on all the time, disconnects us from nature, disconnects us from each other, disconnects us from our bodies and ourselves. And we start living in this artificial um, 
yeah, rat race, which, you know, aptly termed. And, and that kind of loss of balance is so devastating to so many people today. And I think that's where, you know, one way of thinking about it, and you're absolutely right. These times where we go down, these times where the sun goes down, the, the night time, the shadow time, um, the darkness has been so pathologized in our culture, so pathologized, turn them into mental illness or this or that. And, you know, one of my ways of looking at depression and most things that are called mental illness, I see as mutinies of the soul. Mm, that's perfect. Right. I, I mean, that. the soul yes. is trying to get our attention and telling us to stop, mm -hmm. stop and look around, stop and be, um, but it's so hard. And that's why in a strange sort of the, in a strange sort of way, we could think of it and take the, the perspective that the traumas, the disappointments, the burnouts are um, the soul's insistence of being heard. The, cult, the goal is, and, and, and I know we'll get into this, and like we did on our last soul chat, is how can we consciously make that turn downward, take a conscious descent into downshifting uh, downgrading. Um, I know you like that word incendence, you know, going down into, as opposed to transcending or spiritually bypassing, how can we go deeper into whatever is showing up for us? So instead of saying depression, or like when people would say, you know, I have insomnia, I would say, you know, really show me, where is it? Because we turn these incredibly amazing multifaceted processes into nouns and they're not nouns. If I can get people, particularly when they might be feeling depressed, which is a, a label that hides more than it reveals, say you know, there's an infinite number of ways to be depressed, meaning, you know, what's happening? Can you poke your head up and look around? What is the landscape of what you're calling depression? You know, what's, what is, uh, you know, is it a barren field? Is it a desert? Is it a uh, rocky outcropping of a cliff? You know, every, there's so many different kinds of ways. And, and one of my missions is how can we be more descriptive of our emotional states and not just, you know, reduce them to a label and definitely not pathologize and I kind of like to say, when we, um, when we do not spiritualize, we end up demonizing and pathologizing hmm. and spiritualizing. It is exactly what you do in your, your alchemical work is it's find the hidden meaning and listen to it, be in conversation with it. And so many of us are taught not to be in conversation with our bodies, much less the earth, much less our emotions and our feelings. So yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, and that's why the kind the work you do um, is so important, you know, the, honoring the falling, you know, is one thing I think you honor the fall, mm -hmm. yeah, the descents. Yeah. I mean, I welcome it. I, welcome I it. honor it. I welcome it. Sometimes I seek it, <laughs> not always, but yeah, I mean, if I'm, yeah, it, it's, it's so important Who and I love yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I talked over you, but it, it, that made me think, I mean, absolutely me too. I mean, is, isn't creativity in some ways courting it? I mean, yeah. kind of like, you know, 
how much great art and music, you know, is created out of, you know, sunny, beautiful days. It happens, but, um, I mean, Nietzsche actually said there's two kinds of art, art from abundance and then art from desperation. Mm, yeah. And that, that he yeah. always felt was much superior, mm. you know, I mean, you know, think of Beethoven losing his hearing and going into that dark, dark place and yet refusing to give up on his art. Mm. So, so anyway, I did interrupt you. I want you to. Where well, actually what you were saying kind of helps me move into what I think would be a really good next exploration, which is how, you know, how do we come to this place? Particularly, how did you come to this place of understanding the dark? The only word we have for it is depression in our culture. How do you, how do we move from that place of being afraid of it, pathologizing it, trying to suppress it, trying to medicate it to working with it? Like what shifted in, in you? And maybe you always knew how to work with mm. it or because yeah. that's the key is to work with it right and and be in conversation with it and and welcome it as a um, you know a I'm, I'm trying to think of the the Rilke line but welcome it as a stranger you know a you know welcoming that 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 stranger into your house you know um so no I, it wasn't at all I mean I uh well, maybe, maybe before my surgeries, you know, I had quite a few surgeries as a kid and I had horrible night terrors and I was scared of everything. I was scared of the dark. I was scared of small places. I was scared of heights. I mean, you know, I, I, I talked to my inner child a lot, but he was very traumatized. I mean, a lot of it was trauma-based and not to belabor those traumas, but I didn't come to it easily, you know, that I was terrified. I mean, I re member, you know, the night before my first vision quest, which this is the 30th anniversary year, I was like, I'm going out in the middle of nowhere in the dark, in the wilderness without food or water. What? I mean, it was like my soul got me there. And then my, my ego just freaked out. And I remember just like, you know, um, and at that time I had, I certainly had overcome a lot. And I would say, to answer more specifically your question, um, let me step back. I was just going to say, even with all the work I did at the age of 30, I, I was, you know, I remember going out the first night and being terrified by thinking I was seeing a bear. I did have a bear come in my camp at one time, but it turned out it was a pine tree. But I remember having a panic attack, you know, I was like, oh my Lord. But I would say the first shift it's such a great question. So my parents moved me in the middle of high school from Connecticut down to the deep South. And, and I was 15 and I, in the middle of the summer, I I'd left all my friends, my favorite sport lacrosse. I, you know, the first girlfriend I ever really ever had the home I had lived in my, all my life into a place that felt like the twilight zone. The, you know, and it was very painful. I became very, very depressed. And I don't know where this came from. 15 years old, mind you, but some reason that summer, I mean, was one of the first times I felt suicidal. Like I just, I felt so powerless that 
every decision was being made for me. And, and I felt like I'd lost everything. And I had spent like 10 years practicing this sport, planning to get it on the way to a college scholarship. And it was taken away. And I, it was like, something in me said, I'm not going to spend time on focusing on things that can be taken away from me. What can't be taken away from me? Mm -hmm. And, and it just occurred to me, my education, and most importantly, kind of education I learned within myself. And I realized I did not truly know myself. And I felt somehow I was being too fragile that this happened. So I made the decision at the age of 15 to read the entire history of Western philosophy that I should say a history of Western philosophy, not the wow. entire, but I, it was a whole, I just, I, my father grew up in Italy. He was, had a classic education. So we just also tend to had not many kids would have had that in the house, but somehow I knew that study and those books held something. And I came across, uh, I fell in love with Socrates and, you know, my first car, I called Socrates, um, Plato and Nietzsche. And, and I just, these were people who were philosophia, you know, philia, Sophia, the love of wisdom. And I realized I was dying for wisdom. I, I wanted to, mm -hmm. to, to learn and know. And I started questioning that I, I read Kierkegaard, you know, and I remember, you know, him saying in his journals that I, tonight I was the, I was the, you know, I was the star of the party and I went home and I wanted to kill myself. Mm -hmm. I was the life of the party and I went home and I wanted to kill myself. And it was like, I related to that. It was like somehow um, I wasn't feeling seen or known or heard. And, and then in the next year I came across Carl Jung and I've often said, you know, at 18, Carl Jung's memories, dreams, and reflections saved my life mm -hmm. because that didn't answer the depression, but it gave me a hint that there was something in it besides an illness there was something in it that was fertile. There was something in it that, that was, everyone was ignoring. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really good. Yeah. I want to add in that when I, you know, very similar to you, very similar, we're similar. The details are different, but we're very similar souls. But um, when I hit like my big dark nights, it's after already doing a lot of healing, right? After already doing a lot of self-inquiry and self-healing but I was like truly going insane because it was something different than I'd ever experienced before like a just like because during the dark night the ego is completely suppressed and so when your ego is completely suppressed what do you have what yeah. do you have to depend on to, to pin your worth on, to pin your sustenance on, like what, what it was, I was going insane. And I, and I remember desperately trying to find someone, a guide, a therapist who could help me. And, um, everyone I went to, I was like, they're not getting it. They're not getting what I'm saying. Like I knew I sensed in me, this is not a pathology. This is not depression. It's something else. I kept saying that, like, I'm not depressed. It's something else. And they were just like, looking at me with blank faces, like, here, take these pills, you know? And I just knew in me, like, that is not going to help. I don't know what was it, what it was so strong in me that, that said, you need to stop trying to find your help through them. It's not going to happen, mm. which made me even more scared because if, you know, if 
if the therapists and the, the crazy hospitals and all that couldn't help me, then what was it? What was it? And I mean, I, yeah, I don't want to go into too many details, but it's like, what is it? So what we're talking about here, like there's this um, main theme of like, you know, the ego, what the ego seeks and what makes the ego feel good and what brings um, pleasure and joy to the ego, but then also what the soul seeks and what the soul wants and what the soul, where the soul finds nourishment and where the soul finds things that sustains it. And we are, we're always going to have the ego and the soul. That's, you know, it's, it's a normal part of our makeup, but like, um, to understand what is it that brings your soul sustenance? This is beautiful. And, and I would say, you know, what we were both suffering is soul sickness, you know, yeah. is soul sickness and, and yes. And I just, I, I love that story and your story that, and that's where I think anybody out there listening, you know, being really, uh, because part of that is the reminder to all of us that the answer is within, you know, uh, as Jung said, you're those who look outside dream, those who look within awaken. And to know that you have everything inside of you to heal and to grow and to become whole, actually it is your most natural state. And, and so this question of what nourishes the soul, only you know that. It's such an individually unique, one-of-a-kind question because I like to say soul is the regional representative of spirit. It is the specific place of spirit incarnated in this body at this moment in time on this place, on this planet, these coordinates, you know, it's a very, it's about here more than now. You know, you hear a lot about the power now and there's wonderful things about it, but if you don't have a here to your now, you're disembodied. Hmm. So the soul is the here of the now. So then the question becomes, I mean, to me, the soul, and you've heard me share this before, you know, comes from the word or the, the original Latin anima, um, which we get the word animation from. So the idea is what animates us? What brings us alive? What is following the live liveliness? And, and so the soul is fed, nourished, particularly when it's so thirsty, you know, where is the water for the soul, you know, and the water of life. And again, each person will only know that, but I can say in general, we could say things like, you know, sincerity, authenticity, genuineness. Um, I always say the ego is designed for and seeks social acceptance and approval. Mm. Again, nothing wrong with that. It's part of how we learn a language and develop I like to call our cultural coding, but our nature coding, our more natural coding, or even deeper, our source coding, um, the soul doesn't know anything about that. What the soul seeks is genuine, authentic connection and resonation. And that is something that's always inside out. It can't be outside in. The ego is radically self-conscious. It has to be because it has to put itself in everybody else's shoes to figure out what they want and then deliver it and then pick up the breadcrumbs of acceptance and approval. But it's a deal with the devil ultimately. This, the ego is a great, um, well, 
first mate, but a terrible captain. I mean, it can be kind of looking out for rocks and stuff in the river or in the ocean. Um, but the soul has to be the captain. The soul is the one who who's in touch with this larger ground of being, this larger source. It, it's the one that also knows that we are part and parcel of the natural world. And, and so another way of saying it is the ego is a child society. You didn't come in with an ego. It grew in your interaction with your particular language system and culture you were born into. But the soul is a child of nature and a child ultimately of the great mystery. And so all I know is my soul is fed when um, I get my truth chill bumps, mm. what one of my teachers would call a breeze from the other world. Uh, my soul is fed when uh, my heart warms and opens. Um, my soul is fed when I, I feel seen and I feel heard. You know, um, I, my soul feels fed when I'm hanging out with my soul friends like you. It's, you just feel it. It's a resonation. And like when, you know, as, an, as a musician yourself, if you're tuning a C string on your guitar, you need to hear another C string, whether it's however, or on the piano, whatever, you need to hear that vibration. Very few of us have perfect pitch. And so we need each other to do the work that only we can do and play our song. So that's really good. And it actually brings up something that I want to maybe just see what you get from this, but it was really, really tricky for me to tell the difference between was it feeding my ego or feeding my soul? Because you asked that question, like only we can know what feeds our soul. And we have to ask that question and find the answer for ourselves. But I was really, um, I was really confused for the longest time because my ego wanted such good things, mm. Mm. such honorable things. Mm. I only wanted to help people. I only wanted to write songs and share them with the world. I only wanted to be of service. I only wanted you know, all those things are so good. They're so good. But like my ego was twisted up in it. And so I, they brought me alive. They doing those things brought me alive. Sharing my songs with people brought me alive. We're, you know, mentoring people brought me alive, helping people. It just, it brought me so much joy and so much. I thought it was it. I thought it was filling me up. This is how I burned out. Yes. Like this is the important thing yes. and the important distinction for me is I, like, I can't stress it enough. I only wanted pure and good things, <laughs> mm. but it didn't. Why was I burning out? Why was I burning out by being of service? Wasn't that supposed to automatically feed me that selflessness being, you know, being everyone's best friend and everyone's mystic guru go-to wisdom friend and the best lover and like all these things i burned out so hard mm. i mean this it's uh, it was no, the biggest turning so point for me yeah yes. to realize i could have sworn to you that it was music that brought me alive that it was that it was you know all those things that brought me alive and they did but 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 my ego was so it's like it's just like 
trickily woven in. It was woven in there. Somehow I didn't see it until I burned out. I didn't see it. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing all of that and so rich. And again, our, yes, our stories are so similar. Um, I mean, I, I have struggled my entire life with a Jesus complex, uh, Jesus okay. white knight complex. And, you know, before we got on, I shared with you as, as a kid, actually, it wasn't until after my vision quest, I started wearing black. I loved white. I love to wear white. And, and so you know, two, I think of it two, two ways. Um, the first is there is such a thing as an addiction to good works. Yeah. When I was a grad student uh, at Duquesne, I did groups as part of my training, both with priests. It was a Catholic university. I was born, raised Catholic. We both had a pretty strong religious upbringing. And um, the, the addiction to good works that that they love to do and brought them alive, but it also allowed them to ignore listening and being in conversation with other parts of themselves, other mm -hmm. parts of their body, all you know, their sexuality, their um, the dark nights of the soul, the, the the other kinds of things that in and had addictions going on. And and I like to say addiction of any sort can be a problem. So I do think there's a bit of a paradox here. Um, bringing alive is only part of part of the answer. So thank you for bringing that up. It's not a complete answer um, because I think the other part of what nourishes the soul in, in native tradition, the direction of the West of the setting sun and the element of water are this uh, are, is the direction of the soul. So one way we can say, well, we're, 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 we're fed by what brings us alive, like water that nourishes us. But there's something deeper there. How does water flow? It always goes down. It always yeah. seeks the lowest point. And I think uh, I would say that, yes, there is entanglement from ego and soul, but I would say there was a lot of soul in what you were doing. It wasn't just you. I can say the same thing. I was, you know, it was, cross my T's, dot my eyes with just a sincere, genuine desire to serve, to, to be a force of good in the world, all of those things. And yet we live in a balanced universe. And I think that's why indigenous cultures, indigenous spirituality has taught me so much. Although it's there in the mystics, although it's there with the alchemist, that most of what we were raised on as Western, uh, particularly Americans of the 20th and 21st century was a very limited perspective of what, uh, you know, heaven is up there, hell is down there. Yeah. And, and it's the soul, or, you know, the word I'm working with more and more souling is the process of also holding, mm. holding, becoming whole, which means that somehow we have to be curious about is our view as whole as possible? And, and I think the ego piece there is, and it's very subtle, and I still struggle with it. I think it's an ongoing discernment, what's ego, what's soul. And remember, ego is not a bad guy, just a social guy. But there's also a way in which <laughs> that this tendency to 
focus on the um, the upper world and not the middle or lower world. It's hard for me to fully say because I know, and this may be offensive to some people out there, but it, it's a false teaching of the monotheistic upper world religions that there isn't a wholeness that honors the earth descent, not as punishment, not as guilt, because how, how much of, I can say, at least for me, and I don't know for you, how much of that do-gooding was trying to find a place in heaven and try to outrun our own uh, guilt or shame or, or just the desire. And it was genuine. It was authentic. It was something beautiful and yet very, very incomplete. And that definitely, I think, is all fire and no earth or water. Um, it inspired us. There was passion there. Um, and, and also, you know, I, I think that, again, I said I struggle with this every day. I still struggle with feeling that I'm being selfish to take time for myself, to say no, to not be everything to everybody. I burned myself out three times by doing that very same thing, McCall. And... And yeah, it's a very subtle discernment. And that's where this will probably be a psychoshock to a lot of people out there. And since the ego is a child of society and the ego is a child of nature and nature doesn't have morals, the soul in that way, in my understanding and my experience is amoral. I'm not saying immoral. It's not immoral. It's amoral, meaning that the soul doesn't become obsessed with finding its way into heaven because it already is. Mm. The soul is ageless, deathless, and timeless. It is the formlessness that we come from and will return to. Like the ocean, we are like a snowflake while we're here a crystalline, never-to-be-repeated, beautiful, individual, unique expression of that formless wonder and divine mystery. And yet it goes back into that formlessness. As unity, and I, I can't say what else there, all I know is that there's a continuation, not in the form we're in, but I love the idea of that snowflake going to the ocean. Well, that water molecule is still individually unique, but now it is one with all the rest. But while we're here, we have to honor our snowflake or honor our river. And that means honoring, I have to say no, because I don't have energy. I would say there was probably part of you as there was part of me, part of my body, part of my heart, part of my psyche that was saying, I need a rest. I need to stop. I need to say no, but no, I need to say yes. Now, part of that may have been genuine. And this comes into a whole thing. Do we really know what love is? Were we doing it out of love or the desire and need for love? And I, I want to say too, that these things are very complex. We each have to find our own way. And I don't have any answers, but I have a lot of interesting unanswerable questions and little markings that I found to be true on the way. So those, those ways of thinking about it have been helpful for me. Because sometimes I feel like I'm being immoral by saying, no, I already gave, you know, or no, if I'm going to compose the music I need to compose, I can't put myself in the state of feeding the homeless every day, even though there's a part of me still that feels like, am I doing enough? But 
the soul doesn't ask that question. The soul is not languaged. Yeah. The soul doesn't have thoughts. The soul is the lifeblood of this being that we call ourselves. And more importantly, and this is the last piece I wanted to say about it, to think that the game is so simple that I know what I'm to do, that has been blown out of the water for me. I love the Buddhist understanding of co-dependent arising or, or co-arising the that everything the interbeing, everything. I would love to say when you let go of everything, everything supports you. Mm -hmm. That there's so much going on that we don't understand and know. And to be a skin encapsulated ego that thinks I'll do these things and, and be rewarded either in heaven or just by feeling good. You know, that's even a trap. You know, I'm going to do these things because it feels good, even altruistically. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I mean, I, I wouldn't say these things to a sociopath or a narcissist, right. but I say them to empaths and recovering codependents like us. Yes. Yes. That almost need some of this provocative language to, to break us free from, because I, I still struggle with that conditioning, you know, um, God first, everyone else second, me somewhere down here. Yeah. That's, that's a false teaching. That's a toxic teaching um, that doesn't help us heal. And I said, I know I said that, that was going to be the last thing I want to say, but um, Maslow who studied, you know, peak performance and self-actualizers came up with a very interesting thing by studying many people or many decades. He called it the selfish selfless paradox. He found people who were self-actualized that were really doing incredible amounts of good in the world had an, and weren't burning out, had an uncanny way of getting their needs met and could appear at times to be very, very selfish. Mm. And yet that gave them the energy to be so selfless. The selfish, selfless paradox, or what I like to call soul flip, soulfish, soulfish. I love that. I love it because it's like a double meaning. The fish is in the right. water and yes. the soul is always in the yes. water. Yeah, I like it too. I mean, these, this, you're right. These are very complex questions. And to me, it these are the questions at the center of my living every day. Mm. It's not like I have answers either, but I'm living them and exploring around them because I had to. I really had to do it differently. Burnout for me was so totally complete. I mean, I literally could not walk. My, my body shut down. And this is coming from someone who was like, I was so active. I, I never had a problem. Body shuts down. What's going on? So I'm so grateful that the burnout was so complete for many reasons that you just enumerated. And one of those is to realize that, oh, I, I mean, I literally couldn't do anything anymore. And I realized that, oh, it's not my good deeds that are holding up the world. I'm actually not the one holding up the world. Right. People right. are actually fine without me. Right. What? Like, right. this was like, what? Yes. It, it was so, so important for me to see and so relieving for me to see and also 
from that place of burnout to start getting my real needs, those needs that were going unmet, to have them surface and and be met, even though I couldn't do anything for anyone. I mean, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't. I had to ask for help. I had to receive it. I had to realize, like, you're always, I, I love the image of you on your vision quest where you were just like, you know, breath, breath, and like you said, ground beneath me and breath to fill me. Like, those two things, that's it. And you realize they were there for you no matter what you did or didn't do. Like, the ground, the ground was holding you. You were laying, all you could do is lay down. And, and to me, just like realizing that what sustains the soul is so elemental. Mm. Mm. And it was very stark for me at, at that point in my life, what was actually sustaining me versus how I used to get my needs, or what I thought I needed. Sustained through the ego in many ways, it was an addiction because, yes, I was feeding my ego with my soul purpose with my talents and my, and my gifts, but I needed more and more and more and more and more right. and, and shorter amounts of time in shorter amounts of time too, until like, it's almost completely flipped now mm-hmm. where I still have the same gifts. I still have the same soul. I still have the same, you know, I still can write a song. I, well, kind of sometimes <laughs> it's like some, I still have, I still am who I am, but, um, it's almost like I was like backwards or something, like getting my needs met through the ego first. And then maybe some of it would trickle down to my elemental self. But now it's different. It's completely opposite where my elemental mm. soul self is getting fed first. And so I can, I can give and do things differently. And then, and this, it's like, it's just, it's completely different alignment. Bigger ground shift, which is so. That's exactly when you know you would Jung would say, you know, soul initiation is when this the ego has been moved out of the center of gravity of the self, and the soul takes its place. And and the ego is not gone, but it simply all of a sudden realizes it's there to serve the soul. The ego is there to serve the soul, like the ser- the soul is there to serve the mystery or spirit, <clears throat> and so that alignment is so, so crucial, but that's, it's so powerful and so beautiful. I mean, you did have and do have, and you've documented in your book, soul initiation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there are people who, many people who believe that probably only five to 10% of the population ever gets soul initiated in our superficial materialistic um, culture because it's uh modern people don't believe in the soul but and i to be honest i don't believe it either i know i either have an experience of something i am not taking again i don't mean it in any religious sense i mean it in in actually as as real a sense as possible that that which animates our lives that which animates this body is is the soul i mean it can't be reduced to synapses and blood vessels you know there is something deeper going on and more mysterious than we could ever imagine so so yeah i know that that that's beautiful and and i think we all know this to some degree and the, the one thing for those who are curious about that and you were all every one of us everyone listening 
was soul, pure soul, no ego for years, you know, one, two, three, you know, the ego doesn't really start to develop between, you know, four and six, but actually really after six, I mean, you know, you see kids are so wonderfully unselfconscious. I would have a child come in as an art therapist, music therapist, and have them draw a picture when they're four. And they just, oh, let me show you, I'm a great artist, you know? And then that same child comes in when they're eight or nine years old. I said, could you draw me a picture? Their head drops. I don't draw very well. Well, well, wait a minute. Last time you were here, it's been five years. I mean, you must've only gotten better. And it's because of what everyone around them has told them. And they've stopped being able to live from the inside out. The soul lives from the inside out. The ego lives from the outside in. We need both, but the inside out has to come first, the way it's come to in your life. And, and that's a testament to the depths of your practice, the depths of your commitment to your work and the depths of your love of the soul. You know, I mean, it's so, so clear. I mean, this, the body is a temple of the soul and the soul to honor our soul and to be curious, you know, I don't think I am a soul. I, I, I think the soul is this animating energy and presence that I seek to understand every day that I seek to be curious about and speak almost as this wise stranger that I share my life with. And yeah, because it's, it helps. I think it's, it's too easy and it's dangerous when we think we, and that's why whenever I talk about this, so I'm telling you some footnotes that I've come to learn that to, to reduce the soul to any kind of conceptual understanding is to lose it. Hmm. I think of it as a, a, a kind of music. It's kind of a song that is singing us. I really love that. I mean, I am totally sacrilege because I always talk about the soul. I define it. I listen, you know, it's like, I know, I know I'm doing it, but it's like, it's kind of fun as part of my play. But I do want to say that what you just said, like, it's a kind of music from an alchemical perspective. The soul is an inseparable part of the matter of the universe. Ooh, I love that. And this, and the spirit is an inseparable part of the mind of the Mm. universe, which makes total sense, right? But the soul is an inseparable part of the matter of the universe. That to me is like, that's what I feel. That's what I feel. And why I say elemental, like to, to really have a sense of the life of the soul in you, it's a very elemental feeling. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and please know, like, um, it's important. Part of what I love about your work is your, 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 you're also creating, number one, you speak from your own experience, which to me, I don't listen to anybody unless they're speaking from their own experience. And you can tell immediately um, if they're just spewing something they read in a book or they think versus they've lived. And that's wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge tempered by experience. You know, it's lived knowledge and you share that with such depth. The other thing is you're, you're, you're helping people think about the soul differently than they've been taught to. And that's essential because the word comes with a lot of baggage religiously. So you, it's, 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 it is almost incumbent on you to do that. So please know, and I talk about this all the time. I, I, <laughs> I define it here to saying it's a child of nature. I'm, I'm, and, and that's why this work is so paradoxical. You know, both we can talk about and try to break it open from what we 
the connotation or denotation has been throughout the ages, but it's also this constant honoring that it's so deeply mysterious, but your, your understanding of it is, and that, that phrasing is, is beautiful. Um, and it's, it, it, it actually dovetails with one of the most, um, interesting theories getting a lot of play in physics today, which is panpsychism, you know, which Mm. is that, that consciousness is integral to matter, that, that conscious is not some kind of epiphenomenon coming out of the human being, but that actually it's inherent in matter. And in Buddhism, you know, we actually say that consciousness is coextensive with space and coextensive wherever there is anything, there is consciousness. So I know that, you know, that sense of when you're talking both about the spirit and mind, and, but we need to have a deeper conversation about that. That is my experience as well, that there is no place that consciousness is not. Now, consciousness, you know, we say consciousness or spirit, um, you know, these again are words, they're fingers pointing at the moon, you know, and, and we're trying to get a sense or evoke the moon, which is whatever we say about ultimately is not it. But we're here to play the attempt at evoking it. Um, and that's where I love, you know, I, I always love to come back to the music example because it's a sense in which, and that's why I like the word souling, that it's that, that the soul, whatever it appears to be, is certainly not a noun. But like you said, an integral, because we also know matter itself is not matter. <laughs> If it's yeah, not, it's, it's not physical, it's alive, it's vibration, yeah. it's waves, it's, um, it appears solid, you know, physicists will say today that everyone agrees that we are swimming in a quantum ocean mm. of, there is no, nothing is separate. Everything is deeply interdependent and co-arising. The weird thing is why does the human brain experience things as separate? So, you know, is it to have this journey or is it our language system that's done that to us? Um, I think I've shared with you many indigenous languages that I, you know, kind of explored bits and pieces of. Most of them are polysynthetic, which means they don't, they have very few nouns. They're very verb-based. They're, they're about flow and action and, you know, um, so I would be more Michaeling than Michael, you know, Michaeling, listening to Macalling and, Com, uh, silver sating, uh, curiositying is arising in Michaeling. You know, how about in Macalling? You know, so there's this very present focus and bringing things. And I think immediately these things start bringing water back in to heal burnout. Because mm-hmm. burnout, we could also say, is a solidified view of the world. You've lost the capacity to imagine things differently. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is such a key piece of yeah. that's the water of life, you know, and, and if somebody's out there, you know, struggling with some burnout right now, I like to say, what will bring you some moisture? You know, how can you look at differently? I'd often have somebody in my office when I was practicing, I'd say, walk across the room. I go, what are you talking about? So just get up and walk across the room. Okay. And especially if they're depressed, they kind of lumber across, head down. And it's okay, now I want you to walk across the room differently. Just differently. I don't care however differently. I, I, and they usually get frustrated, but then I'd, 
the idea was they had lost the capacity to see they could walk differently, which also yeah. to me is feel differently, which also to me is look differently at the world. And it can start with pop your head up and whatever you're calling depression, look around and describe it. We're just even inviting it, inviting it in um, and asking it what it's there to teach you. Yeah, those are all really good illustrations. I like that a lot. And I will, I will say this after my burnout, I, I had lived in Utah for 16 years and I really did burn pretty hot that whole time. Creativity and, you know, everything just, oh, it was so good, but I burned out. And when I couldn't move my body and I was just laying on my couch for hours and hours, the message was, you need to go live by water. You need mm -hmm. to go live the next part of your mm -hmm. life by water. Wow. And I said, how the heck is that going to happen? I have no idea. But of course, I just followed my, you know, strange poles and intuitions, ended up in Hawaii, and it was incredibly healing. Out, I just sit in front of the ocean hours and hours and hours and hours with the ocean, really, just like merging with all that energy. And I, it was, uh, yeah, you've got to bring the water back in, maybe literally, <laughs> as yes, for me, it really absolutely. was very literal. Yes. But what will, what will water, if, you know, if that soul in you is earth matter what will water it mm. you know and it might be different it might be different than you think like you said walk a different way you know look take a different route to the grocery store something different anything different see where there might be some way to water because we do we get so focused on you know that that spirit um i'm gonna burn i'm gonna do this i'm gonna go this way this is the plan this is how i'm gonna get there and poof, we'll burn out so fast if we don't bring in that those uh well it's improv really yes well that <laughs> <You know? laughs> that is improv is is right it's that is water itself because it means you're in the moment and and you do that i love that you allowed yourself to collapse on your couch and not move i love that you found a way to hawaii i love that you listen to those you know that's why you are a medicine woman and alchemist um, those are, those are those deep intuitive gifts. Um, and I, I'd like to say another way to part of improv makes me think of my music, of course. Um, and a big part of healing on my, my vision quest was it brought me back to my three first loves, which was a nature creativity, particularly music and spirituality, or we like to say the spirit moving in all things. But I want to say a bit about the music right now. I, I first heard the Native American flute, and and I, for me, the water was music, um, mm. and and I think that can be different for each person. W what it was connecting me to were these lost loves of as a child, mm. and so I think you know for listeners out there, asking yourself what brought you alive this is a this is a great way to differentiate soul and ego what brought you alive as a very young child before you you ever went to, to sunday school before you barely could speak you know what brought you alive and you know so many of us we you know what brought us alive was singing and dancing and by the way it's interesting as a play therapist for almost three two and a half decades i the you can have every high-tech thing in a play therapy room for a kid. 
the the number one thing they will go to two to like two times more than anything else is water. If there is a water, something with water in it, fountain, or especially if they can play with it or in it, or has something to do with water, water exercises such power for all of us. And and again, you know, for me, I I can wax very poetic and philosophical on water, you know, that we are two thirds water, the planet's two thirds water. Um, That my album Ama means, you know, water in Cherokee, but also mother and grandmother and dozens of languages talk to the water. You know, I, I, I talk to Ama, you know, every in my mm. shower, I have a whole conversation with Ama, but also talk to your inner child and asking that inner child, um, what do I, is there, you know, I have an instrument in my attic that I haven't played in decades, you know, um, did I have a love of writing poetry and I've stopped? Did I love dancing as a kid? And I haven't danced in 10 years one of the big things I would do is get people to um, immerse themselves in nature and find a creative outlet, you know, two really big things that will bring water into your life. Because I I would say, you know, I mean, another word for great mystery or spirit, you know, creator and nature is creator's art, ultimate art. So to immerse yourself in nature is to put yourself in alignment with that infinite creative energy of the universe, which is inherently healing and inherently guiding. The other is creative outlets. Creativity was creator doing all the time, creating, creating, creating. You know, nature never makes an aesthetic error. You know, water never makes an aesthetic error. It's, there's a divine constant improv going Mm -hmm. on. And so when we're in, especially improvisational arts, like I would say, if if you were, um, did ballet, we'll go and do some free form body movement program. If you are a trained painter, finger paint. So it's not about doing something that there's gonna be outside in criticism from your egoic mind, something that's gonna be as primal as possible as, you know, turn all the lights off, get naked and dance, you know, if that was the, the issue or try to get close to that unselfconsciousness of that three-year-old that is the water of light you will find water there that is so beautiful and i i want to add that when i was coming back from my burnout one of the things it's been nine years and it's like i never want to go back right um (laughs) but one of the things that helped me heal was that what you're talking about finding that creative flow every day as a way of living. And most importantly for someone like me and myself, I guess I can only speak for myself. Most importantly for me was whatever I create, whatever I do to connect with that soul flow and that improv, don't share it with the world. Uh Uh Don't tell anyone about it. Uh Don't post about it on social media. Don't. And it's like, now those things in my life are so sacred. I don't even know if I could. Like, Mm. I don't even know if I could post about, like, I don't even want to say it, what it is that I do every day that connects me with my soul, earth, water, matter. Like, and it's such a creative and I'm really good at it too. Like, but it's like, I don't even ever want to, like the very close people in my life I started sharing with, but it's like, I, it's so sacred. Like do something that was the message to do something just for you and don't share it because my, that's where my addiction would come in. 
was, and I know it's backwards. Like it's the whole selfish thing, right? Like you, well, we're supposed to share our gifts. We're supposed to share it. And so for me, it's a negotiation. Well, what, what can I share that I don't feel that attached to? And for me, it's always my words. I don't know why. Like, I don't feel like it's that big of a deal. I can write, I can put these words to these things and it's my offering to the world, but I don't really feel attached to it. I always felt attached to music. So I've been like on the down low, don't share it. Like, because I can't, I don't know if I can yet. I don't know if I can. It's like an alcoholic going into a bar, right? Like, can you do that and not drink? Probably not. <laughs> so absolutely, like, do something like I always say, save your creative soul, do something and don't try to monetize it and don't tell anyone about it. Just do it for your own life force. Yes. Your own well-being. Such a such a wonderful, important piece. And and I'm also glad you brought up the need piece again because I wanted to say, yeah, for people like us, it's not substances that we get addicted to, but for a codependent, recovering codependent is the need to be needed. Yeah. And so this is a really important uh, piece. Again, there's so much paradox in this. And you've been reading my unpublished manuscript, Souling, and giving me the most precious feedback, which I'm so grateful for. I'm still working on it. And there's so many stories in there I have not told for 30 years because yeah. they were too sacred. Yeah. So you may find yourself in another 20 ready to share those. Um, yeah. And that's why it's, I think, listen, it's a shifting shoreline like the river of life that what is true today may not be tomorrow, but I will say this in 100% agreement. And that is there, even if you, let's say, and for me, like as a musician, I share a lot of what I do. And yet there are the songs like this morning on my morning beach walk. I a song came out that I will never was sung to Ama, the, the Gulf of Mexico. It wasn't for anyone, but, and I was sharing it with the world. I was sharing it with yeah. Ama. I was sharing yeah. it with the beach. I was sharing it with the ocean. I was sharing it with the seagulls and the turtles and the dolphins. It was actually a great, a gratitude song of thanking them and Gaia. And you know, so I'm getting these chill truth bumps right now, you know, this sense of, yes, there needs to be a giveaway that is not have anything to do with egoic social cultural coding. And, and that, I think, even if it's, you know, even if you're, it's almost like, you know, when sometimes I think of it as like the one thing I think about tithing um, in a non-religious sense is 10% of my creativity is going to just go to spirit. You mm. know, it's not going anywhere else. Now, I think that's changed at times. I think, I mean, I, my first teacher in the American flute, um, I said, how do I play this thing? And he said, I want you to play only at night outside and don't play for anyone for a year. Yeah. That was so powerful. And that that has crafted and deepened a relationship with that instrument. And to be honest, I don't think I played for anybody for probably two or three years. Um, and so these things, again, I think the point you're making, which is so important, is pay attention to, there's actually a great little story on this, and I don't know how we are in time. Um, goodness, it goes so fast. I know it does. Um, but it reminds me of the story. It's a, it's a Zen story about the flute. And uh, it might be a nice way to kind of begin to land. Yeah, perfect. So um, there was this uh, young man who um, 
who listened to how the wind blew these reeds um, by the little lake that he grew up at. And it made such a sweet sound, he decided he was going to carve himself a flute out of this, one of these reeds. And he did, and he felt such joy when he played. He felt like he was part of the wind. He was part of the water. He was part of the sky and the clouds. And the animals would come and listen to him. And over time, as the years went by, not only animals came, but also people would start to hear about this young man who played this reed flute in this little town. And that when he played, he was like a god. And soon people from all over the country began coming to see and listen to him. And he, he often closed his eyes and didn't even notice anybody. But over the years, as more and more people showed up, the word spread. And finally, the court musician at the king's castle said, go find that young man and bring him here to be the court musician. And so they went and the man said, uh, the king will offer you riches and everything you desire if you come and teach his children the flute like you play. And he said, well, okay. So he went and he went back and he did. He became a, a, a very famous court musician and had all kinds of adjuration and incredible students. But he began to lose the love of his flute and the music. And he had all these fancy flutes made and created until he stopped even playing his little homemade reed flute. And as time went by, we could say he burned out and became sadly depressed and he couldn't even pick up an instrument anymore. But everybody would, because he had to play, he had to play for the king. He had to play for the people who came to visit. He had to play for his students. And he just had no energy to play anymore. And one day he just disappeared without any of his flutes, even the reed flute he left behind. And he wandered. as a homeless beggar for another 20 years. And then as an old man, he found himself wandering back to his home mm -hmm. by the lake with the reeds. And as an old man, he decided he was going to make one last reed flute. And so he went back found the perfect reed and carved it as he did and he learned as a child. He sat by and he listened to the birds, he listened to the frogs and the wind and he began to play and the joy began to return and he dissolved into all the beings of that place. And it's said that you could hear some people roaming by on the streets that day and they were looking and they saw this old man playing this reed flute. They say, listen, he plays like a God. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, in the end, we each have to find our reed flute that we hand carve. And that's the one thing we need to not lose throughout this crazy journey. And you know, it, 
that story, I mean, I didn't think of it till just now, but um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie that the one of one movies, I don't know, maybe I've directed another movie, but Tom Hanks uh, directed um, That Thing You Do. Did you oh, ever I see this movie? Uh, maybe a long time ago, but half, yeah. Half to, he did it as he was becoming famous and feeling like he was losing perspective and losing mm. his way. And it's about this drummer for this band who just, he's, he's the most gifted member and he does it because he loves it. But this band gets together, these other guys get him into this band and they have this one hit and they become famous and they're going all over and he starts losing the joy. And at the end, he sees this, uh, they're in LA and um, the band is disbanded because they're all pissed about, you know, who's getting what money and how the royalties are being split and the and the record company taking too much and it's just destroyed everything. And he goes, um, and he talked about this uh, African-American drummer who was his, like his God. And he just ends up finding himself in this little uh, studio in LA and his hero drummer comes in and uh, he can see how depressed the, you know, the kid, the drummer who's lost everything now, including the girl he, he loved. And he said, you know, you got to find that one thing, you know, because it will be a relationship, it'll be a job, it'll be money, it'll be fame, or it'll be loss, but it'll, it'll make you crazy. And you got to find that one thing that'll keep bringing you back. Mm. And, uh, and then they jam together. <laughs> mm. I love that. Yeah. I think that's such a beautiful way to close our conversation and just say that like the code for everyone for what will bring you back to soul is you have it you have and it. it and it might not be for me like for me it wasn't what I thought it would be mm. it might seem weird or backwards yeah. or but you know you know what it is in your soul and like that the one thing that brings you back and I don't like you know like I like to say my ego's on a short leash I don't like getting far mm. of course it's going to happen <laughs> sure. but i can't get very far anymore mm. away from it like i will get sick and i'm very yeah. grateful for that yes so it's uh may we all find the one thing that brings us back and may we stay close aho amen i just Beautiful. thank you so much for everything you shared i feel like sitting with you is like sitting around the fire with a wise initiated elder mm -hmm. and I know you're barely going into your eldering years now but like I'm so grateful to know you and have that connection with you because a true this makes me so emotional but like a true initiated elder who can sit around the fire with us and talk about these types of soul things in our culture is so beautiful and rare mm -hmm. and so thank you for sharing and letting the water pour through you and the music music you today. Mm. Thank you so much, Michael. A thousand thank yous, McCall. It's such a joy always to be with you and Silver State with you. And thank you and all your listeners for this opportunity. It has been such a joy for me. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so grateful. And for everyone who wants to find you, your website is like a plethora of resources. I think it's michaelbrantdemaria.com. 
Is that your um, website? That, it, that will take you there, but it's actually the michaeldemaria.com is fine, but they should both take you there. But michaeldemaria, okay. D-E-M-A-R-I-A.com should take Perfect. you there. And I'll put links to all of your places in my show notes for people who want to find you too. Thank, Thank you, you so much. You've been listening to Musitations, sound healing and sound wisdom for a world in need where we explore all things musical, meditative, and creative for healing, transformation, and awakening the soul. I've been your guide and host, Michael Brandt Maria. Feel free to check out my music on Pandora, Amazon Music, Spotify, XM Cirrus Radio, or Soundscapes Cable. You can also check out my website at michaeldemaria.com or online programs at alldaypeace.com, alldaypeace.com. Listen to your heart, follow your soul, and we'll see you on the next episode of Musitations.